Well, my mind today went to Psalm 69, or this week, after the, um, after the funeral. I don't know how some of you felt, but I felt like I needed a couple days to just like say, you know what, I'm tired, I'm worn out, and it will be okay again. It will, um, and as I... <clears throat> In Psalm 69, as I read this, it, um, it shows that God rescues us from deep waters. And there's a story, you know, recently there's a story of a, um, a submarine, not a submarine, it was a, um, anyway, the one that imploded and the five people on board died. It wasn't a submarine. What do you call that? A submersible. Yeah. And it didn't work out so well for them. There have been other submersibles um, where people were rescued. But if you go down in one of those and something goes wrong, your chances are kind of slim. But here in this Psalm 69, David said, in verse 1 here, says, Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. We get this picture of going, getting covered, getting bombarded, and our chances of survival on our own are not very good at all. But for God. God rescues his people out of deep waters. I'd like to begin by... Um, reading this psalm. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire, and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, I then have to restore. O oh God, it is you who knows my folly and my wrongs are not hidden from you. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me, O oh Lord God of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O oh God of Israel. Because for your sake I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate talk about me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness. Answer me with your saving truth. Deliver me from the mire and do not let me sink. May I be delivered from my foes and from the deep waters. May the flood of waters not overflow me, nor the deep swallow me up, nor the pit shut its mouth on me. Answer me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. According to the greatness of your compassion, turn to me and do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. 
Answer me quickly. O oh, draw near to my soul and redeem it. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. All my adversaries are before you. Reproach has broken my heart and I am so sick. And I looked for sympathy, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. May their table before them become a snare. And when they are in peace, may it become a trap. May their eyes grow dim so that they cannot see and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation on them and may your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be desolate. May none dwell in their tents for they have persecuted him whom you yourself have smitten. And they tell of the pain of those whom you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and may they not come into your righteousness. May they be blotted out of the book of life, and may they not be recorded with the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. May your salvation, O God, set me securely on high. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving, and it will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hooves. The humble have seen it and are glad. You who seek God, let your heart revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. The descendants of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell in it. <clears throat> I want to read a story that I th illustrates the um, waters coming over us. But in 1973, there was a submersible that went, was working off the coast of Ireland, and they were laying, um, working on a phone line. And so these men were down there doing a job. And I think what happened, <clears throat> In this, in this dramatic incident, two crewmen, both named Roger, spent three days trapped in a vessel measuring six feet in diameter, subsisting off a single sandwich and condensation licked from the walls until they were rescued with just 12 minutes of oxygen to spare. One of them, Roger Mallison, told NBC News on Tuesday that the search for the Titan has evoked tough memories of his own experience. You, you just rely, he said, on the thing being well-made. It was in August of 73 when the two British sailors were on a routine dive to lay transatlantic telephone cable on the seabed about 150 miles southwest of Cork. Senior pilot Mal Mallinson, an engineer, was 35 at the time. Former Royal Navy, Navy submariner Roger Chapman, who died in 2020, was 28. They were clocking eight-hour shifts crammed into a small vessel with very poor visibility. On the morning of August 29, as the two were getting ready to be towed back to their mothership, a hatch was accidentally pulled open and water flooded a self-contained part of the submersible, adding extra weight and plunging the vessel about 1,575 feet below sea level. And I had to think, that's what can happen in our lives. Things can happen that add extra weight, and all of a sudden we're heading down, right? Whether it's a spiritual thing or a physical thing, there are things that happen. 
and they sank. They were suddenly hurtled backward and sank rapidly, and they were dangling upside down, and they hastily prepared for a crash. They dropped a lead weight to lighten their load. They curled up in safety positions and stuffed cloth in their mouths so as not to bite their tongues off, and they hit the ground in about 30 seconds at 40 miles an hour. And so now they are stuck in the bottom of the ocean, almost 1,600 feet down. <clears throat> he said, try to imagine you're in a phone box with a friend. The phone box is at the bottom of the Empire State Building, then everything around you floods to 10 stories above the top of the Empire State Building. Then turn off all the lights and start bleeding oxygen. And then you realize that a rescue, if it can even be attempted, is roughly two days away. <clears throat> they didn't have a water supply. They had one can of lemonade and a cheese sandwich, and they decided to save those for later. They had just replaced the oxygen tank before this dive. And so they had 66 hours of oxygen left. And so they decided to talk as little as possible, try to conserve oxygen. <coughs> And there were some setbacks. The two submersibles that they had to go down, and they wanted to hook a cable onto them and pull them up. Um, the one submersible had a problem and broke. It had to be repaired. The other one, they got a grapple on, and it, it popped loose. And finally, I think it was on the, the third try, oh, the second trip down, they couldn't find it. Um, the third trip down, they found it, but the cable slipped off. Um, finally, they made the repairs. They got down and found them and hooked on, but then it took a while to get them up. <clears throat> they finally got to the surface and got the hatch open, and they looked at their oxygen levels, and they had 12 and a half minutes left. That is so close. But you know what? I think that is where we can find ourselves and where many people find themselves. They are hopeless. We are hopeless and helpless without God coming and pulling us out. And our oxygen, our ability to live, is running out. On our own strength, it will run out. And I think David found himself in a situation like that. And he said, and what did he do? He cried out to God, save me, O God. And I think of that phrase, when we, either before we come to the Lord or even after we've come to the Lord and we're in a situation that we don't know what to do, save me, O God. Save me, God. I need help. I need help. <clears throat> what is that deep mire that I am experiencing right now? What am I stuck in? Or what have I experienced you know, it can be unbelief that I don't believe God. That's a deep mire to be stuck in. It can be trial and difficulty. You know, on Friday, there was an earthquake in Morocco. And they say over 2,000 people were killed, and there's thousands injured. Um, that is a trial for everybody that's going through that. Now, Morocco... I don't know that, that anyone knows how many 
believers are there because you know I had to think well we should pray for our brothers and sisters in Morocco um, nobody knows how many believers are, there are because they have to um, it's an underground church there are no Bibles allowed in Morocco in the Arabic language um, there are churches in Morocco but they are just for expats if if any locals go there um, well they're not allowed to I don't know what happens if they go there. Are they arrested and thrown in prison? I don't know what happens if a local goes to church, but there are no, nas no nationals are allowed to enter a church in Morocco. We can pray that, and God does use situations like this, trials, to open up people's hearts um, to the gospel and to the help of believers. We need to be praying for, um, let's pray right now. Father, we do pray for and ask your strength to be poured out, your grace on the believers in Morocco and the people that are going through this great trial. May this be a time of your kingdom spreading and people coming to know you in this time of being open and seeking. Uh, may you bring provision so that the believers can reach out and help those in need. Lord Jesus, may this country be opened up um, and your kingdom spread. In your name I pray, amen. So, deep mire can be unbelief, it's trials and difficulties. It can be inward corruption in my own heart if I am not freed from sin, from the power of sin. That's a mire to be stuck in. And so as David says here, I have sunk in deep mire, there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. Um, it can be the devil's temptation and oppression when it seems like the enemy just keeps coming at us and we get tired of that battle. Lord, free me. Set me on a rock. David says, set me on a secure place. He says, my throat is parched. Why is his throat parched? Have I ever cried out to the Lord long enough and maybe loud enough? But anyway, long enough. Save me, O oh God, that my throat has become parched. Um, Spurgeon. <clears throat> I saw a quote from Spurgeon. I thought I wrote it down here. But he talked about, um, you know, what is my throat becoming parched over? You know, am I going to a game and hollering and screaming so, to the point where I can't talk when I get home? Or am I using my voice to cry out to the Lord? Um, what is my throat becoming parched with? Oh, I did write it in the, up here. We are, it is to be feared, more likely to be hoarse with talking frivolities to men than by pleading with God. Is my throat becoming hoarse from my pleadings with God? <clears throat> or am I just talking frivolities with men? Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. You know, in this chapter, we see the pointing forward to Christ. These are the things that Christ faced. You know, David, in this case, may be hated without a cause. But David wasn't perfect. He sinned. 
Moses wasn't perfect. He killed an Egyptian. Um, you know, as we think of all the men, none of us can say this truly, that we are hated without a cause except for Christ. There was no good cause for men to hate Christ, except for the own, the own mire, the, own, the, the sin in their own heart. Um, Oh God, it is you who knows my folly and my wrongs are not hidden from you. David said, God, you know this word folly, the foolishness, is talking about the sin, sins that I've committed that I did not realize I did. I didn't do them on purpose. He said, God, you know, you know even those. Um. <clears throat> Oh God, it is you who knows my folly. God knows our hearts. And that's a, that's a good thing. May those who wait for you not be ashamed through me, O Lord God of hosts. May those who seek you not be dishonored through me, O God of Israel. Because for your sake I have borne reproach. Dishonor has covered my face. I have become estranged from my brothers and an alien to my mother's sons. So we see David saying, I've been willing to have people think bad of me because of following God. Am I willing to step out and follow God in what he's calling me to do and others don't understand? Um, <clears throat> For zeal for your house has consumed me. You know, and I wrote a question here. What am I zealous for? And then I thought, that is not what it's saying here, is it? For zeal for your house has consumed me. So David has stepped out in faith. He's walking with God. And he says, zeal has consumed me. This isn't something David's doing. This is something that's being done through him. He is consumed by zeal for God's house. What consumes me? The things that I am involved in, the things that I follow after, whether that's politics, whether that's money, whether that's pleasure, games, or whether that's God, whatever I follow after, that will consume me. That will consume me. That's what I will be zealous about. The zeal for that thing will consume me. <clears throat> when I wept in my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate talk about me, and I am the song of dr drunkards. Am I the song of drunkards? Do, am I labeled by the world? You know, if we get labeled, and we do it to other people too, um, we can label something that we don't want to deal with. You know, well, they're just a fundamentalist, or they're a hater. You know, think about what the world does to believers. They say, and once we're labeled, 
then they don't have to deal with us. David said that's, who, that's what he was experiencing. He was labeled and dismissed. Oh, oh yeah, that's just, that's just that guy that goes out and, and thinks he's following God, you know, thinks he's doing so well. Um, they were making fun of David. What did David do in the midst of facing all this? The next section of verses here moves into an appeal to God. And what do we often do? We appeal to people. We appeal to institutions. We appeal to this world to save us. We need to make our appeal to God. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. This is an acceptable time when we're in trouble, when we're in the mire. Oh God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, he appeals to God's loving kindness. Answer me with your saving truth. God is the one who can save. Deliver me from the mire and do not let me sink. So he goes back to that picture of being stuck in the mud and the waters coming over his head. <clears throat> May the flood of waters not overflow me, nor the deep swallow me up, nor the pit shut its mouth on me. <clears throat> to this day the tavern makes rare fun of the tabernacle and the ale bench, ale bench is the seat of the scornful verse 16 answer me O Lord for your loving kindness is good According to the greatness of your compassion, turn to me and do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. O draw near to my soul and redeem it. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. All my adversaries are before you. So David, in his plea for God, he keeps saying, draw near to me. Answer me. I'm looking to you. Lord, deliver me from this mire. <clears throat> I was um, blessed on this trip in seeing people and hearing stories of people that sought God to be lifted from the mire. Um, so where am I turning? <clears throat> Verse 20, reproach has broken my heart, and I am so sick. And I looked for sympathy, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. So when we look for comfort from the world, they, they give us the opposite. We don't find comfort there. They give us vinegar. And here we see again the picture of Christ on the cross. They gave him vinegar to drink. Um, in this next section, defeat my enemies. Verse 22, may their table before them become a snare. There's a couple ways to look at this. You know, David, is this David cursing his enemies? Or is this David saying, this is what God does to his enemies. This is what's coming. It could, it could be either. But I had to think, you know, I need to realize in myself that if I'm an enemy of God, this is what's going to happen to me. 
if a person is an enemy of God, this is what's going to happen to them. Um, so here in verse 21 to 28 or 22, may their table become a snare, and when they are in peace, may it become a trap. May their eyes grow dim so that they cannot see and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation on them, and may your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be desolate. May none dwell in their tents, for they have persecuted him whom you yourself have smitten, and they tell of the pain of those whom you have wounded, and iniquity to their iniquity, and may they not come into your righteousness. May they be blotted out of the book of life, and may they not be recorded with the righteous. And then as we move into the next verses where David rejoices about being lifted out of the mire, we see the opposite of some of these things that he just said. You know, may their tents be empty. But then he talks about um, the righteous having an inheritance. <clears throat> but let's move into that next section here. Lifted from the mire, verse 29, but I am afflicted and in pain. May your salvation, O God, set me securely on high. I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. And it will please the Lord better than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. That young bull, when it had horns and hooves, it was reaching its prime. So this was a good sacrifice. And it says God is more pleased um, with our praise. The humble have seen it and are glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. When we see God working, when others see God working, then they are drawn to life, right? They are drawn to be revived. God's spirit comes in and uses that. I had to think um, on this trip, I, I heard stories of people and how God had saved them, pulled them out of the mire seemingly without any human help. Um, in a prayer group, I think I might have shared some of this. I don't know if I did it publicly, but at um, Kingdom Fellowship Weekend in the prayer group I was in, there was at least three young men who had come to the Lord in the last year. And their stories, it was as if they had been just pulled right out of the mire by God's hand. We, you didn't see where man's hand was in it, um, except for some of it was they were they did have some, the one man was listening to um, a campus preacher online, and he said that campus preacher was answering all the questions I had. And so God was using, using that. I guess what, what hit me, it wasn't someone in the room with them or a church that they were going to or a family or a friend. It was, but it was a man that God was using. Um, that's a great... So as we see that, it revives our hearts. We get excited, right? Say, God is working. God is doing. Um, the one young man was saved just like that out of a life of homosexuality. Um, another one brought to life out of a dead religion. Um, a young lady that received physical healing God still heals people physically. That's exciting. It revives my heart. And to see a whole lot of people that are excited about walking with God and serving God. We come here every Sunday morning and we see that. We're encouraged, right? 
you say, you know what? I might have had a rough week, but I know my brothers, each of you are facing the same things, and you're back here again this next week, and you're pressing on. That brings revival to our hearts as we, it encourages us. We see what God is doing. <clears throat> I want to read out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 to 11. God uses Oh, I went to chapter 3. I'm like, that verse doesn't look right. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance... So he's saying our sufferings because of Christ can be great. They're in abundance. But so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So we can say, you know what? I'm walking with God and I'm suffering these things. I know God is working, but this is hard. But he says, so our comfort is abundant. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. So don't give up. When the trials come, when the afflictions come, when the sufferings come, because the comfort from God is also abundant. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. We can be burdened excessively so that we despair of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who does what? Who raises the dead. So we say there's no hope. The only thing I see ahead is death. But he said that is so that we trust in God who raises the dead. Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. So Paul said, I've taken my hope and I've set it on God. You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So he said, your prayers are going to be answered so that many people will see and glorify God. <clears throat> These things aren't just about us, but it's bigger. God is working. Going back to Psalm 69, verse 33, For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his who are prisoners. 
Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. The descendants of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell in it. So he's, he said, you know what? The Lord hears the needy. He doesn't despise us. God cares. He's there. He's full of comfort. Let heaven and earth praise him. All of a sudden he's like, you know what? I can't even praise God enough for this. Let everything praise him. I was thinking of that as we were singing How Great Thou Art this morning. Thought of this verse here. Um, All creation praises God. And David is saying, I, I, my voice, my one little voice isn't big enough. Let the heaven and earth, the seas and everything that moves in them, let all creation praise God. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah. So in comparison to the wicked whose tents will be empty, here he says God is going to fill Zion and it will be full of people. His servants will inherit it. We'll inherit it. <clears throat> and those who love his name will dwell in it. As we seek God, as we love his name, we are given a place to dwell. There's a place to dwell. Even when, if my hope is in him, there's a place to dwell. Even though it doesn't look like there will be. Where is my hope? Where is your hope today? Is it in God? As this life disappoints us, as we come up short and realize that we don't have it in us, we cannot rescue ourselves. Those two men at the bottom of the ocean had no way to rescue themselves. They had to depend on someone else, and their time was short. We don't know how how much time we have. When our time comes, am I walking with God, or have I been dwelling in the tents of wickedness? Am I going with my own thoughts, or am I seeking to hear from God? That word from Solomon, that example of Solomon today, to have a, a listening heart, a hearing heart, is my heart wanting to know what God has to say. And we had talked about it in class here. Joshua made a comment that kind of triggered some thoughts for me. But at the end of that conversation with God, it says Solomon woke up. What would I have done with that? Would I have just said, oh, that was a nice dream? Or would I realize God is speaking to me and wants me to act on this? And Solomon went and acted on it, and God blessed blessed that. So may we be, as Solomon in that regard, um, having a listening heart, asking God for wisdom. And... um, listening for his answer, taking the time, and trusting him. It says God gave him riches, and we can ask the the question was asked, so what is financial security? 
What am I secure in? What am I looking to? Am I willing to step in faith and follow God, looking to him, rather than trying to figure everything out myself? Uh, so some good challenges today um, from these men in the Bible. And will I look to God, cry to him, as David did here, save me, O God, when I need rescued from deep waters? And just stay there. Place my hope there. Like I said, Paul said, I have placed my hope in God. On the one whom I have placed my hope, he is the one that can rescue us from deep waters.